It's been a long time since I've been here, but uh, you have been well served, as I've seen on the web, and I thank God for that. You get, uh, you get good people in here, and I'm privileged to be one of those lesser ones, but I'm glad to be here with you every time I can be here. It's been a good summer for us. We just got back from a week of vacation with family, and that was good. I suspect that you're here to be inspired in some sense, and I hope that will happen by the time we get to the end of the message, but it's not going to happen as we read the Scripture this morning. The, the verses that I have chosen this morning are uh, <laughs> the kind of, kind of let you down. You say, boy, that's not what I came to church for today. But hopefully we'll get to that place by the end of the sermon, and you'll walk out of here saying, yeah, yeah, I really need to think that through and do something with that. So with that, let me ask you to turn to Psalm 44. It's one of the psalms that is not a psalm of David, but it fits in with much of what David had to say, and it could be one of his. We don't know all the details about the authorship of the psalms, but Psalm 44 is one that I'd like to read to you, and you can follow it on the screen as well. It reads, We have heard it with our ears, O God. Our ancestors have told us what you did in their days. In days long ago, with your hand you drove out the nations, and planted our ancestors, you crushed the peoples and made the, our ancestors flourish. It was not by their sword that they won the land, nor did their arm bring them victory. It was your right hand, your arm, and the light of your face, for you loved them. You are my king and my God who decrees victories for Jacob. Through you we push back our enemies. Through your name we trample out our foes. I put no trust in my bow. My sword does not bring me victory, but you give us victory over our enemies. You put our adversaries to shame. In God we make our boast all day long, and we will praise your name forever. But now you have rejected and humbled us. You no longer go out with our armies. You made us retreat before the enemy, and our adversaries have plundered us. You gave us up to be devoured like sheep and have scattered us among the nations. You sold your people for a pittance, gaining nothing from their sale. You have made us a reproach to our neighbors, the scorn and derision of those around us. You have made us a byword among the nations. The peoples shake their heads at us. I live in disgrace all day long, and my face is covered with shame at the taunts of those who reproach and revile me because of the enemy who is bent on revenge." All this came upon us, though we had not forgotten you. We had not been false to your covenant. Our hearts had not turned back. Our feet had not strayed from your path. But you crushed us and made us a haunt for jackals. You covered us over with deep darkness. If we had forgotten the name of our God or spread out our hands to a foreign God, would not God have discovered it since we, he knows the secrets of the heart? Yet for your sake, we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. Awake, Lord. Why do you sleep? Rouse yourself. Do not reject us forever. Why do you hide your face and forget our misery and oppression? We are brought down to the dust. Our bodies cling to the ground. Rise up and help us. Rescue us because of your unfailing love. Now that's inspiring, isn't it? <laughs> kind of makes you feel good, doesn't it? Feels like a uh, guy I remember in the men's retreat was the uh, head of the FAA at, for a period of time, and he brought to the men's retreat for his final message 
the recording from the flight deck of a plane that was going down. And you could hear all the voices and everything, and then there was just silence. Not the kind of thing to inspire you, though it may frighten you out of hell. <laughs> that may happen, but doesn't do much for inspiring. There's lots of psalms that we could go to that are inspiring, no doubt about that. Psalm 8 says, Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. Or Psalm 23 may be your favorite. Lord is my shepherd. Oh, we could go there. Or Psalm 100, shout for joy to the Lord, all the earth. Psalm 44, not so much. And actually, I'm being easy on you because Psalm 88, just double those numbers, it is worse in Psalm 88 than it is in Psalm 44, but, but not so much in terms of inspiring and lifting us up. Psalm 44 and Psalm 88 are songs of, psalms of lament, and frankly, I'm kind of nervous about preaching on a psalm of lament because I have found that when I will preach on something like patience, God says, Peter, you need the circumstances that will teach you patience before you, and I don't want to learn any more about lament. I'd rather skip that lesson. Don't want to learn much for it. But I asked for Psalm 44. In fact, when uh, Clay talked with me about what I was going to preach this, uh, this Sunday, I said, well, give me for Psalm 44. Because years ago, I noticed something, something strange about some of the Psalms, and Psalm 44 is one of those. They, they kind of uh, let you down. They don't come with a cheery ending, with a hopeful ending. They end in what I would call a minor key. Here's, here's Psalm 44 as it ends. We are brought down to the dust. Our bodies cling to the ground. Rise up and help us. Rescue us because of your unfailing love. My daily reading time has me uh, in one psalm and other passages too, but one psalm, the same psalm every day for the seven days of the week. And uh, Psalm 44 came up a while ago, and I was reminded of what it was like. In fact, it is a psalm of lament, and as I say, I'm, I, I don't want to learn any more about lament than I've already learned, and I'm really not learning about lament at the moment. We are living in a, in a wonderful time of life, Ilona and, and me and our daughter and son and son-in-law and the grandkids and all those things just came back from vacation. So I'm not living in a time of lament at the moment, but I, I realized that I could walk down the road and turn the corner and be in a psalm of lament at any moment along the way, and so could you. So I determined that what I need to do is learn something about uh, lament today for tomorrow or the next day or the next day or the next day after that. And I suspect you're the same way. What we need to do is capture a little bit of the flow of thought of David as he goes through this psalm to get the, or of the psalmist, to try to catch up with where he is. So let me, let me just trace the flow of thought. And if you have your Bibles, you may want to mark these out. The first portion of Psalm uh, 44 is verses 1 through 8, and it is a, an accurate picture of history. It is his story. History is his story. He's in charge of history. And that comes through in a lot of ways in Psalm 44. He says very clearly, with your hands you drove out the nations and planted our ancestors. You crushed the peoples and made our ancestors flourish. That is the population of the land of Canaan by the people of Israel. That's what that's all about. And he's saying that God did that. It's his story that set that in motion and made it happen. The next section is Psalm uh, 44, verse 9 through 16. Uh, it is an accurate picture of life today. It sometimes stinks, doesn't it? You're not being honest if you don't agree with that. You don't have to agree out loud, but the truth is, 
and sometimes it's far from what you expect it to be. In fact, verse, oh, verse 9, you have rejected and humbled us. You no longer go out with our armies. You made us retreat before the enemy, and our adversaries have plundered us. Life sometimes stinks. Be honest about it. And the worst part of it, as far as the psalmist is concerned, is that it's often undeserved. <laughs> you know, I, I know I made my mistakes. I, I know I blew it in a number of ways, but, but did I blow it so badly that I should have this? And in honesty, in the best way we know how to rate things, I really don't deserve this. Something, something doesn't equal out here. All this came upon us, he says in verse 17, though we had not forgotten you, we had not been false to your covenant. Our hearts had not turned back. So not only had we been living it out, but we wanted to live it out. It wasn't that we turned on the inside. No, we didn't turn on the inside or the outside. And so it comes to the final part of the psalm, verse 23 through 26. Oh God, rescue us, because we just don't know what else to do. Now, you can't relate to any of that. I know you can't. You've never been on a dead-end street like that. You've never had a marriage that was uh, uh, daily pain to live in. You never had a job that you lost with no hope of getting another job, did you? You never had a daughter who ran away with a Facebook friend. You, you never had a friend in high school who told somebody else your, your most secret memories. You never had any of that, did you? Of course you did. Of course you did. You've had people walk out on you. You've had failures at work. You've had failures at home. You've had those kinds of things. And it's not only you've had those, but you can't seem to get out of the ditch that you're in because that's what it's like. It's a ditch with steep walls. And, and all you can do is walk forward. And you don't want to walk forward because you're just in more of the ditch and you can't seem to get out. And what you have is what this psalmist had. No confident statement of hope. That's what a psalm of lament is. There's no confidence that it's going to change. There's a cry to God, yeah, but, but there's no confidence that it's going to get better, that it's going to change even though they cry out to God. And really, it gets complicated for those of us who've decided to follow Jesus. The problem is, not only does it get worse, and not only don't you have a confident statement of hope, but you feel like you ought to have a confident statement of hope because you memorized the verses on, on hope, didn't you? Yeah, in the better days, you had all those verses memorized, and you feel like, boy, I ought to be saying something that's hopeful here. But, but if I'm going to be honest with myself and with anybody else, I can't be hopeful, not out loud. See, you're really in a dead-end street. It's like a culvert. You just keep going around and around and around and around, and you feel guilty because you can't say something hopeful at this particular point in time. And there's another problem. You, you don't really deserve this one for one. Maybe in the larger scheme of things, yeah, I, I get that. But, but one for one, I don't feel like I deserve this, but I can't say that either because I know that what God has given me is a gift. I don't deserve that. And I also believe in my theology that God is good. So here, here I am in this, this place where I can't move anywhere. So all I can be is discouraged. And that's what he sounds like to me. In fact, you sing, sing all the songs in, in church about God is good. But now you can't even remember the tune, let alone sing the words. Does anybody know how I 
how I'm, I'm, I'm describing this? Have you, have, have you been there? Or, or maybe are you there now? I was there. I was there 15 years ago. 15 years ago, out in, right out Springfield Avenue, out all the way to Basking Ridge, all the way out to Millington Baptist Church where I had been serving for, I don't know, 20 years, something like that. By, by every measure known to man, I was extremely successful. I had a great family. I had a church that was just growing like crazy. We had started a ministry that seven years later we would launch as Liquid Church. So everybody was looking at that and saying, boy, isn't that terrific? I was involved in an international board for overseas ministry, and so that took me overseas talking to missionaries and other leaders, national leaders, on a regular basis, and I did a lot of traveling. So everything looked so good. But I was losing it. I had no more energy left. I was losing steam. I was tired. And worst of all, I didn't know how to get my mojo back. I had a good staff, but I had tremendous conflict with one man, who, by the way, is now a close friend and consultant and advisor and helper for me, so everything's fine now. But he would sit right down there, and as soon as I got on the platform, he would be like this. And I thought it was him. <laughs> Surely I had recruited him out of the business world. He had gone to seminary. He had been on our staff for, I don't know, 10 years by that time, I guess it was. But boy, if I could have admitted it, I would have said, I can't stand him. And he would have said the same for me. I told a friend during that time who came in to see me that I was just hanging on by my fingernails. You know what that feels like? There's nothing left but just the grip of your fingernails, and you feel like if something happens to your fingers or the fingernails tear off, you're just going to lose it. You're just going to lose it. So I know what Psalm 44 is all about. I had a lot of things in rhyme with Psalm 44. I had an accurate picture of history. I knew God had been generous. <laughs> I mean, I became a Christian in 1966, and he saved me out of a useless life. He saved me from all kinds of addictions that I had been in before that time, from all kinds of stupid living, all those things. He had saved me from that. He had transformed my life. When I bowed before him uh, beside my bed in 1966, it was June 8th on a Wednesday night, I, I, I got up from there as a new man. I can't explain that except that the Spirit of God did his work in me, and he was continuing to do his work in me. So, so, so I knew, I knew God had been generous and God had been good. But now, oh, boy, something was really missing. I didn't know what, I just knew something when I was willing to admit it was missing. And in fact, I, I wasn't blaming God. David was much more honest than I am, or the psalmist was much more honest than I am. I, I was during that time. I wasn't blaming God. In fact, my theology wouldn't allow me to blame God. Some of you share the same theology, and that's not wrong, that's not bad. I'm not saying that's bad. But, but it left me in a, in a terrible place where I couldn't blame God, but I didn't know how to take on the responsibility for what I needed to do and what I had done. And so I ended up in the same place as the psalmist, and I said, oh, God, rescue me. And it came when my, my 
now friend, then enemy, staff guy, came in and told me with four-letter words, you've got to get some help. That was rude. <laughs> I just thank God I never departed from my commitment to the Bible. I never departed from my commitment to my wife, Ilona, to our children, to our church. I, I have a suspicion that a lot of people who have failures are in the midst of this time, uh, this kind of time, and, and, and when an opportunity that is dishonest or immoral knocks on the door, you're so weakened by that time. It's, it's, almost, it's almost the perfect storm, like we saw on the Jersey coast a while ago, and you topple over. God kept me from any of that, and I thank God for that. But I had no confident statement of hope. And I wanted to quit, but I didn't feel like I could quit. And I thank God that I didn't feel like I could quit for whatever reasons I couldn't quit and walk away from it because what I have found is that God does things in the crucible of weakness and distress that he simply can't do anyplace else. And God, God taught me just, a, just a, a little bit of what the Apostle Paul was talking about when God said to him, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Now you know why I chose Psalm 44. That's why. I have found that not only is this something I need to read, but I, I need to dwell on it, and I need to find the beauty in lament. <laughs> now, lament is not something we look for. It's not something we go for and say, oh, I'd like to have some more of that. Please, can I, oh God, can I have a little bit more lament? No, no, we, we avoid it in the best ways we possibly can. And I'm not saying you should go and look for it, and I'm not saying you should ask God for it. Please, please don't do that. There's something sick about that. But, uh, but I'll tell you what, I have found that there is a beauty in lament, and I want to share that with you before I quit, because you may begin to see the beauty if you have not already in those times of struggle that caused the psalm of lament to come from your heart towards God. Strangely, you might say, there's faith here. I'm talking about Psalm 44 in particular, and I could go to other ones and find the same thing. But Psalm 44, there, there is faith in Psalm 44. You'll find it in the history he recalls. He's talking about God doing the work. You'll find it in the recognition that God is sovereign. He's, he's not saying that somebody else did this. He's saying God is sovereign. God's in charge. He has done this. You'll find it even in his claims of faithfulness to God, which are, are I don't know, kind of shocking, but it's there. And it's all couched in the idea of faith. You'll even find it when you get to the end of the psalm and his cry for God's help because he, he knows God's the only one who could rescue him. That's faith, friends. There's no atheist here. Not in Psalm 44. There's no agnostic here. N not in Psalm 44. No, he's not walking away from God. He's fully engaged. In fact, he knows that God's the only one who can help him. That's faith. That's faith. There's humility here. You look for yourself. Do you see any bluster here? I don't see any. 
Do you see any egomaniac here talking even about his own accomplishments? <laughs> I don't see any of it. Do you see pride here? I don't know, maybe you do. I can't find it. I don't see it. What I see is brokenness. I see the kind of desperation that we sing about in our songs, but we do everything we possibly can to avoid because nobody likes brokenness. And I say it again, I'm not saying you should look for brokenness. I'm not saying, oh God, pour on the hardship to me. (laughs) There's something wrong with you if you're saying that. There's something wrong with you if you're saying that. That's not what he is saying here. By the way, I don't think this man will be judging others who are in hard times. Yeah. I don't think he'll be giving them three easy steps to get out of it. And won't that be welcome? When you go through the desert, isn't that the last time thing you want to hear from somebody else? Oh, this is what you can do. Just do this and do this and do this. And they're all simplistic answers. Oh, if you just pray more, you just read your Bible more, you just trust the Holy Spirit more. You know, all that's true in some sense, but man, when you're in the desert place and and you're in Psalm 44 and your psalm of lament is coming forth from your heart, that's the last thing that will help you, even though in a real sense it's true. No, what you find here is you find faith and you find humility. We love humility, but we don't want to be humbled. I don't either. I don't think that's a problem. I don't think that's wrong. I will not ask for humility. I will not ask to be humbled. But I'll like it when I see it. Humility and faith. And something else you find here. You find truth here. Honesty here. You and I have friends who won't talk about how much they hurt. Don't you? You know them. Their names come right to your mind. That's okay. Social conversations don't have to talk about all the pain that I'm going through. (laughs) If they do, I'm just going to push people away because they don't know what to do with it. So you don't want to talk about it all the time, and I'm not asking you to talk about it. I don't need to tell everyone. What I fear are for those who can't or won't talk about their pain with anyone, can't or won't talk with a trusted friend or a counselor or a, a pastor or somebody else whom they can trust to keep their secrets. I fear for them because the more that is kept inside, the more they're ready to explode. And that's not a pretty thing when that happens. And that is destructive to a lot of people when I explode or you explode. Theologian John Calvin said that the Psalms are a mirror of the soul. I think he's right. If you think he's right, then it stands to reason that when my soul is in pain, surely I ought to be able to talk about it to somebody who can help me. Surely I ought to be able to be honest about it with with God, as the psalmist was. Surely, surely whatever I'm going through ought to be, or can be helpful to other people who are going through similar times in the past or present or in the future. So so there ought to be somebody I can talk to who has flesh and blood on it. There There ought to be a relationship with God that I can tell him honestly how I feel, and it's not good, Lord, and I know you're out there, but I just feel stinky, and you don't seem to be any place around, and surely if I have an honest relationship with God, I ought to be able to say that to him and talk to him. I suspect that we confuse honesty with what we see in the Israelite community as they traveled from Egypt to Canaan. And you might remember that they, they talked behind 
uh, God's back. They talked behind Moses' back. They grumbled. They complained. Psalm 44 is not behind anybody's back. It is so open and so transparent that sometimes, you know, you feel like saying, did he dare to say that about God? To God? Yeah, he did. That's why I say it's honesty. You know, I think that, I think a lot of people would be glad to hear about it from us because they're so tired of the plastic Christians. And, and, and I include my, my non-Christian friends. And they're the ones I worry about. If I, if I seem to be too hurting, then they won't see my faith as real. Oh, no, no, no. No, they'll see your faith as real. Yeah, that's what we see in Psalm 44. We see a man who's honest. And aren't people looking for honesty and transparency in the midst of our lives who claim to walk with Jesus Christ by faith? Yes, they are. My Christian friends are looking for that. My church is. My non-Christian friends are looking for it. So when you look at it here, the beauty of the psalm is honesty and faith and humility. When I read Psalm 44 a long time ago, I don't even remember when it was, but it was early in my Christian experience, I thought to myself, boy, that's strange. That's a funny way to end a song to God. No statement of hope. Nothing confident there. When I read it about six months ago, I said, that's beautiful. What made the difference? A lot of years of watching people out at Millington Baptist Church go through hard times and seeing how they handled it and seeing that though they were beaten down and they were willing to admit it, they still clung to Jesus. Listen, if you're going through hard times, don't be afraid to let the right people know about that because people are watching you and the people who are watching you are learning how to sing a song of lament as they see you singing it. Your pain is being used in many other people's lives. So I saw that as a pastor. I got into their lives. I was, I was in the midst of their lives and in the midst of their pain. And so naturally I saw it more than I might have otherwise seen it. But then I walked through my own psalm of lament too. My own time of terrible desert discouragement. And I had to get help. My friend Glenn was right. I needed help. Now he'd say today that he needed help too. <laughs> so we were a pair. <laughs> we, were, we were a messed up pair. And here we were working together in terms of ministry on a staff of a church. But we were a pair and we both needed help. Well, I got help. Let me tell you what I learned about myself. I learned that I was a people pleaser. Took about six months on a Christian counselor's couch until I finally figured out that I was a people pleaser and I understood why I had come to be that. Now the strange thing is that people pleasers sometimes look like great pastors. He cares so much for me. Well, yeah, sometimes that's right. Sometimes that's a strength, and it's not a people pleaser who's a pastor, but I was a people pleaser who was a pastor. And for me, it wasn't coming from a strong place. It was coming from a weak place. 
It was coming from damage in my own soul, and I had to figure out why I was that way. I was so tired by the time these 20 years had passed at, at Millington, and about 50 years of life had passed. I was so tired that I just couldn't, I couldn't do it anymore. I was tired of trying to please people and their demands. And, and listen, I was more tired of trying to please my own demands on myself, because that's where they came from more than they came from other people. It wasn't other people's fault. It was mine. It was mine. During that period of uh, crying out to God, I also learned that I didn't know how to take the rocks out of my backpack. You ever carry a full backpack? <laughs> Feels really good to take it off, put it down. But the problem is in life, pastors, other people, leaders in particular, they can't take their backpack off. And as the years go by, what happens is more rocks get loaded into the backpack. And, and the rocks are those disappointments that happen and the, uh, those, those hurts that happen and those misunderstandings. And, and, and I had about 50 years of rocks in my backpack and I didn't know how to reach back and get any of those rocks out. I, I didn't know how. I finally went through a process that's defined in a book called The Grief Recovery Handbook, and I learned how to take the rocks out one by one. And when somebody puts another rock in, or I put a rock in now, I know how to deal with the rock for the most part. For the most part. The third thing I learned was that I didn't know Jesus very well. Now, I had trusted him back in 1966, and there was no question that my life was changed, so I, I knew he came in. There was no question about that. I, I had gone through educational process. I had asked a mentor in the church to help me. I had done all kinds of things to try to get it together, and, and, and I was trying hard. I was trying my very best to obey Jesus, to obey God, and to be the Christian man that God had called me to be, and the Christian father and the Christian husband. I was trying all those things, but knowing him, not so much. Not so much. So I just went out every Monday morning and I cried. And I went to Pleasant Valley Park and I went to the, uh, there's another beautiful park area out there. And I just went off someplace where I could talk to God and be quiet and do nothing except cry. And in the process, I learned to worship. I learned to worship when there was no band. I, I learned to worship when there were no great voices. I learned to worship. I learned to watch the trees and see them wave their branches to God in praise. I, I learned to use worship music in a sense that brought me into the presence of God. And I got to know Jesus in a sense that I never would have known him on my successful career track. So much so that now my desire is the same as the Apostle Paul. I want to know Christ. That's all. Just want to know Christ. It was a long process, or it seemed like a long process to me. I started talking about it as soon as I possibly could because I knew that I could reinforce what I was coming through and understanding and 
feeling and experiencing if I began to talk about it to other people. So I first started to talk about it at the end of my counseling period, and I just started talking. And people in the church got nervous. They got really nervous because I wasn't the answer man anymore, and I wasn't the guy out there with all the strength. I was the guy who was weakened because I knew that Jesus could work through me if I recognized my weakness and I depended upon his strength. Some of you know what I mean because you're right there now. Some of you could easily join me and say, yeah, a psalm of lament, yeah. With, with what it carries in the psalm of lament, with the, uh, with the, the whole idea of the, the humility and the honesty and the truth, man, that's what I need. So let me encourage you to do several things. Learn to lean into your pain. I mean, if you've got a tumor, go to the doctor, okay? I, I'm, not say, I'm not saying anything about those things. If, if you've got something that hurts on the inside, talk to somebody. Get, get help. Get out of the pain as fast as you can. Uh, absolutely. I, I'm not a masochist. I, I don't believe that. But if you're in pain, lean into it. Instead of running away from it, lean into it. Ask God to take it away. Do what you can to get rid of it, but lean into it because if you lean into it, then you can learn from it. You can learn from it. I have no other answer except you go through it and you lean into it and you, and you learn from it whether you want to or not, but soon you'll want to learn from it because you'll see some valuable lessons come through there, and then you might even love it. Maybe, maybe, maybe because you'll become convinced that the pain, it can be beautiful in your life. And the Psalm of Lament, like Psalm 44 or Psalm 88, can be a treasure for you because you've been living through it. And hopefully you're on the other side of it and things are rosy again. But even if you're not, somehow as you lean into it and you learn from it, then, then you begin in the strangest sense I can imagine to love it, to love it. What do you do with all that? I don't have three steps for you. <laughs> Sorry. But I do have you can, something you could do this morning to, to, to start the journey if you're not there already. Uh, I'd love to see you come back, come up in front. We'll try to be quiet up here and just sit down and talk to God. If you want to talk to me, that's fine. I, I'll be here. But, but I think some of you may be ready to just sit down, put your head down on your knees. If you cry, that's okay. Who cares? You know, if you weep, that's fine. If your spouse comes with you, okay. If not, okay. It really doesn't matter when you get to this place. And some of you are likely in this place. So I'd really invite you to come up and just sit down. We can talk if you'd like to. We've got a half an hour before the next service starts. We'll be kind of quiet up here for you. You're welcome to come up if you'd like to. Just tell your wife, I think I need to go sit down. Tell your husband, I think I'm, I'm going to go sit with me. Come with me, would you? Or I'll meet you in the back later. But I need to, I need to absorb some of this. Lean into it. Learn from it. You get to a place where you almost love it for the glory of God. Let me pray for you, please.
Father God, you, you're the one who leads us into the places where the pain becomes so real. And you do it not because you love to see your children suffer or hurt, but because sometimes the pain is the only thing that can transform us into the people who are desperate for you. We're taught to fix it. We're taught to put it together. We've been trained to do that, Lord. We're naturally doing that. But we recognize, Father, that sometimes we can't fix it. Only you can. And you're the only one who keep us, can keep us steady in the midst of it. So, Lord, by the power of your Holy Spirit, would you minister to men and women today who are in the midst of deep waters that they might turn to you and find your strength. For we pray in Jesus' name, amen. God bless you.